You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of The Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. Thank you for joining us on today. I just want to share some current news regarding this podcast show. We have been ranked as one of the top 10% most popular shows. We got a global ranking of 10%. This is out of 3,273,692 podcast shows. And this rank was by Listen Score. We've also exceeded 25,000 downloaded episodes. According to Feedspot, out of the top 10 best Christian divorce podcast shows, we are listed as number two. According to Feedspot, out of the top 100 best divorce podcast shows to follow in 2024, we are listed at number 23. And then uh, Podacy has us listed on the list of the eight best Christian learning podcast shows. We are number five. And this is a list of the best Christian learning podcast shows. We are excited about what is transpiring with our show. I pray that this show has been a help to many of you. I do encourage you to share these episodes with those that you feel need this information. It's important that I state we are not advocating for divorce. That's not the purpose of this show, but what we do advocate for is truth. And so where we saw that a lot of the teachings are in error, according to the scriptures, we're now going through the scriptures to have a clear sense and understanding of what is written If we are teaching something that it's not according to the scriptures, then that means we are missing something that is in the scriptures. And so it's important that we go uh, and re-examine some of these areas and have a better understanding of what the scriptures are saying to us. And then we can apply it to today. We can only worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. He made that statement that these are the two requirements. And so if our, our truth is in error or has error, then we are in a, a dark place. So it's important that we come into the light and that we come into truth. On today, there is a scripture where Paul told those that were divorced to get remarried. And so you are listening to episode 42. And what we're going to do is take a look at this particular scripture. And of course, if you miss any portion of the teachings. You can always go back and listen to every episode in its entirety on the podcast show. We're available on Apple Podcasts. We're available on Spotify. And we are also, if you go to the website, because you don't have a uh, one of those platforms, a streaming service, you can just click play and listen to the shows right there off the website. There are platforms that are online That does not require a streaming service. All that information can be found at the website, thedivorcedchristian.com. 
During the process of putting this book together and doing my research on the subject of divorce, uh, one of my prayers, I asked the Lord, I said, why isn't there just a, a blanket statement, something that is uh, clear and precise that we can just look at and say, look at this scripture that will give us clarity on this subject of divorce. Can those that were divorced remarry? And of course, as if you've been following our show, clearly in the Old Testament, those that got divorced remarried. The law of Moses stated in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and his verses like one, two, three, and four, where Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Moses gave these scenarios of a woman being divorced, and now the legal requirement of her receiving her bill of divorcement, which is called a get. Once she received her get, and in the process, of course, she had to then give the ketubah, the marriage contract, back to the husband because he's now fulfilled his portion or his obligation. This woman, once she received her get, she's now legally divorced and was permitted to be another man's wife. And of course, the scenario that Moses outlined gave a second incident following the first marriage. The woman's now in her second marriage. And he gave these two scenarios. One is if the husband dies or if she ends up divorced again, then she's not permitted to return to the first husband. And one reason this was put in place was to avoid scamming where a woman would marry a man, get divorced and then uh, purposely marry a second man and then paid her ketubah, the marriage agreement amount that she's to receive really a divorce settlement and then return to the first husband. So it avoided the possibility of scamming. And of course, the scripture says that if the man was to take her back, then he would be defiled because she had been with another man. So that only applied, that law only applied to a man who had been previously married to that woman. So it's a very interesting concept. Uh, but clearly you can see in the scriptures that those that were divorced in the nation of Israel were permitted to remarry. And of course, divorce did not begin with Moses. Um, in my studies, I learned about divorce in Egypt. I don't have this in this particular book, but there was divorced, uh, divorce in Egypt. There's marriage laws. These are, these are family laws. In today's society, if you go to the court, you have issues regarding um, child support, issues regarding visitation, parental rights, uh, marriage, divorce, this all falls under marriage, or I'm sorry, uh, family law. So that's really what we are discussing. And the fact that most pastors, teachers, preachers on this subject does not view it as family law means that we end up missing and misinterpreting a lot of information. The law of Moses is literally the law that governed their nation. It is not a list of, of integrity. It's not a list of behavior. It's not a list of morality. It's, it's the law for their nation that those that were citizens and those that were foreigners were required to follow. And so it's important that we view the law of Moses in that context because that changes a lot of the arguments made regarding what Jesus was teaching and what he was saying. 
So as we've been teaching on this podcast show, Jesus never changed the law of Moses. That would be the same as changing the U.S. Constitution or a prophet in any nation now changing the laws of their land. In Israel, they had one law. It was one religious law and one civil law, and it covered everything that included family law, property law, uh, inheritance It includes uh, civil disputes. It includes slander. It it dealt with the the priesthood. It dealt with those that were called to be kings. It it dealt with those that were called to be judges. And there was a system of or a outline of character that was necessary to be a judge, not one given to bribery and things of this nature. All this is written there in the Torah. In Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it outlines the laws for their nation. And then Jesus clearly states in Matthew 5, verse 17, I did not come to destroy the law of Moses. Everything that Jesus taught was not a contradiction to the law of Moses. He said, I came to fulfill the law of Moses. And this is what people teach, that Moses taught the law and Jesus taught love. So the laws that Jesus put in place, he said that the greatest law was to love God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. And then he said, and the second law is equal with the first. And this law is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so we have these teachings that say Jesus taught love, loving God and loving people, whereas the law of Moses taught uh, law and it was merciless. But let me show you this. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, Deuteronomy, that's the Torah, the law of Moses. The scripture says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Let's go to Leviticus 19, verse 18. Leviticus 19, verse 18. This passage reads, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord God. Jesus was quoting the law of Moses. It makes no sense to say that Jesus came and fixed the law and then now teach that we are no longer under the law. Why would he fix a law that we are no longer under? And so there are some misconceptions in this understanding to hold on to the teaching that Jesus came and fixed the law of Moses. So either we're under the law of Moses or we're not. Well, My argument is that he did not change the law of Moses, but in these passages regarding divorce, he was quoting the law of Moses. And so because we don't understand the law, we don't understand the the conversation that he was having there with the Jews in Matthew chapter five and also with the Pharisees, as we see in Matthew 19. He's quoting the law that deals with a adulterous marriage. Now, that law can only be found in Deuteronomy 23, verse 2. And it doesn't talk about an adulterous marriage. It talks about a bastard. 
And it says, a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his 10th generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. When you look into what the bastard was, which was called a mamzer, you find out that a mamzer was those that receive a status as a result of being born into a relationship that was considered illegal in Israel. There's was only two type of relationships that fell under this category. The first was incest, which is outlined in Leviticus chapter 18. There was a list of kinfolk and relationships that were not permitted to marry and could not produce children. Any children produced in that union were considered a bastard. The second relationship was the adulterous marriage. And this only occurred if a woman did not receive her bill of divorce. It was believed that the husband was dead and had received word from a witness. If there was no witness, then she was not permitted to remarry. She remained aguna, an aguna woman until the day of her death. So she had no legal recourse, not knowing where her husband is. So abandonment uh, would occur in Israel and they wouldn't know whether the husband was alive or if he was dead. If she received word that he was dead, then she was permitted to remarry. And in doing so, if it turned out that the husband was still alive, you have a woman that's not divorced and you have a woman whose husband is still alive. He, she's not a widow. So that means she's still now legally married to the first husband, even though she's in a second marriage. And so this is the law of an adulterous marriage. And we can see this played out in the scriptures in the relationship with David when he married Saul's daughter, Michal, and her husband, Felty. When David returned, he calls Ishbosheth, the, the son of Saul, and says, Send me your sister, my wife. That's my wife. I paid the the payment, the spousal payment, the, the, the bride payment for her. And I want her returned to me. And so they went and took her from her second husband. Why? Because David was not dead and because David had not divorced her. Now, of course, the law said that they would be defiled. But the story amongst the Jews, the, the, the Jewish sages teach that they kept the sword between them and never consummated their marriage. So if that's the case, then they did not break the law of Moses. And that would make sense as filthy being a just man, a righteous man, knowing the laws, refused to commit adultery with David's wife. And so that's the law as it pertains to an adulterous marriage, exactly what Jesus was discussing there in Matthew 5, verse 32, and also in Matthew chapter 19, talking to these Pharisees because the men would abandon their wives. Now, the men could marry another woman without a bill of divorcement, and that's because of the law of polygamy. So, with that being said, let's look at the New Testament laws because we teach that the law had been changed. So now Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was a Jew, who was raised learning and studying the law of Moses, we teach that he changed the law and now Christianity differed from Judaism. And so we went through uh, Romans chapter seven 
and looked and saw how that statement that Paul made really didn't differ from Judaism. It didn't differ from the concept that those that were divorced were permitted to remarry. The only ones that could not marry a divorced woman were priests. Those are part of the tribe of Levi, the Kohan, K-O-H-E-N. But that was not a requirement for the nation of Israel. If a woman was divorced, she was able to remarry. And so as we're coming into Christianity, there's no change in this sense. Jesus did not teach something contrary to the law of Moses. And so far, we haven't found Paul making a statement on last week. We looked at our last episode, first Corinthians uh, chapter seven, the last passage there in chapter seven, which would be verse thirty nine. And I encourage you to go back to listen to these episodes as we've been covering uh, divorce and remarriage in the New Testament. We spent a large amount of time in the Old Testament but these last several episodes, we've been looking at divorce and remarriage in the New Testament. So what I want to do on today is we're going to begin at the beginning of chapter seven. When you read the book of Corinthians, it's important that you understand that it's a book of corrections. It's a book of correction. So when you read first uh, Corinthians chapter one, he makes you aware that he had received a letter from the house of Chloe. And the letter made them aware of contention there with the Christians there in Corinth. So the whole chapter, every chapter, Paul is addressing issues and problems there in the church. And so he discusses what they are doing, and then he brings understanding and clarity and instructions on what they should do. One of the problems I've run into is people take his explanation of what they are doing to say this is what the Bible says. And that's in total error. You have to read the letter as a letter from beginning to end, and then it makes a lot more sense. And so when it comes to this area of marriage, uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he begins by explaining, they wrote to him and they asked him a question. Is it good for a man not to touch a woman? So this is the verse one. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, is it good for a man not to touch a woman? He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. So this is his answer. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. There were some things going on in this church. And so he's telling them, you guys need to be married. OK, so this idea of of is it good for a man to not touch a woman? The answer is no. God made us to desire to be touched. Human touch is important. And it's amazing when it comes to prison. The first thing they do is throw you into solidary confinement. And so uh, babies out of the womb, they're looking to be held, looking to be touched. Skin to skin is very important. And that's as children and as adults. This idea, what they were doing was a concept of spiritual celibacy. They felt that by being celibate, it made them more spiritual. So Paul begins to explain to avoid fornication. 
let every man have his own wife. Y'all need to be married and let every woman have her own husband. Don't just take a person to fulfill a need. Marry. And then he explains at verse three, let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife. Then he explains the wife does not have power over her own body. The husband has the power over her body. And the same with the husband. The wife has power over the wife's body. Now, let me say that is within reason because some people take these scriptures way out of context. But we don't have time to deal with that on today. So at verse five, he continues, do not defraud one another. It has to be done with consent. In other words, don't stop coming together. If you're going to do it with consent, go to the wife and say, listen, and he gives the example of fasting and prayer. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. He said, because if you allow there to be time apart, it can allow Satan uh, that Satan might come and tempt you as a result of your incontinuance. So this is important because you can't say I'm fasting and praying. If the wife says it doesn't matter, she needs her husband, then you fast and pray and you satisfy your wife and vice versa. At verse six, he says, I'm going to speak by permission and not of commandment. At verse seven, he said, I would that all men were at even as I myself. Now, that's what that statement is con connected to. At this stage, Paul wasn't married. We don't we, we believe he was married at some point being a Pharisee. But here he is single at this stage of life. And so to her statement, I'm going to speak by permission and not by command. God is not commanding the church to be like Paul. Where we are all to be single, we're all to be celibate. So he explains, but every man hath his proper gift. Proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So in other words, some of us have the ability to be celibate. Some of us have the ability to never remarry, whether that's divorce, whether that's as a widow. But everyone is not wired that way. We all have a different manner. Some of us need to be married. Some of you need to be remarried. So at verse eight, I say, therefore, very important, therefore. So now to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I remain like me. He says, but if they cannot let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. At verse 10, unto the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried. He's talking about what transpired there in the church, not in your life, in their church, they had begun to depart from one another. So now he's addressing this. If she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. They just got divorced or they just separated. He's saying, go back to your husband. Stop with this line of thinking that spirituality is connected to celibacy. And then he says, let not the husband put away his wife. So those that are married, come back together in marriage. At verse 12, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any man hath a wife that believes not, 
and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So now he's addressing those that are married to unbelievers. So verse 10 and 11, and we're going to go right back through this in a few minutes. So let's continue. Verse 12, those that are married to unbelievers, if she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away, put her away. Verse 13, and the woman which has a husband that believes not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him, remain married to the unbeliever. And then he explains that verse 14, the spiritual aspect of this. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else, or how else, were the children unclean? And now are they holy? Your children are made holy if one of the spouses is saved. Now we're talking about children. This only lasts until the age of accountability, because at that point, your children are no longer children. They become adult adults and they're now accountable for their own behavior. Then he goes on and explains, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. At verse 16, Paul then explains that the wife, how do you know whether thou shalt save your husband for you to abandon a unbelieving husband? Or how do you know um, to the man whether you'll be able to save your wife by being saved? And so he's drawing these uh, important conclusions in regards to couples married to unbelievers. Now, if you jump down to verse 25, he then begins to address the virgins. So if we go through this passage, he's going to address the virgins, those that were betrothed or engaged, those married to unbelievers, those married to believers, then he also addressed those that were widows and those that were unmarried. Who do you think the unmarried were? On next time, we're going to take a deep look at this passage of scripture. Thank you for joining us on today. Until next week, be blessed. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.